Hello and welcome to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. I'm your host, David Altizer. And Connor McCaskill. And today we have a lot of great topics, so let's just get started with the new Sony A6700. Connor, tell me about it. Yeah, so the Sony A6700 was announced as of this morning, uh, and in doing some research on it, it looks pretty cool. It looks like quite a large update from the previous A67 or 6600, excuse me, which came out all the way back in 2019. So uh, four years ago now. So it, it was quite a bit old. It was showing its age. So the largest and biggest difference between this previous camera and now the A6700 is it's going to be its sensor. So it's actually polling, uh, as far as we can tell, the Sony FX30 sensor. So that's 6K FX30 APS-C sensor out of that camera and sticking it in the A6700 which is pretty incredible because that FX30 sensor is really nice. Um, it is able to record in 4K up to 120 frames per second, which is great. 4K 60 with no crop, 4K 20 with a 1.5x crop though. So that is a little bit of a downer, but totally makes sense for the size of the camera. And it has a ton of other great features as well. I mean, it can do S-Log3, uh, it can do S gamut three as well which looks pretty good as cinetone so it's kind of a packed little camera for 1400 bucks dave i think that's the the kind of killer thing today with this announcement is if you were on the fence about just kind of needing either a, a nice b camera if you're a sony shooter and you were looking at the fx30 because it was a cheaper higher end sony camera um, giving you kind of the the pro video features uh, at a much more affordable price at seventeen hundred. Well, now you've even you've got an even cheaper option with a lot of the same kind of settings. Obviously, the FX thirty does have some nicer features. It's got a fan. It's got the cinema layout. Um, you know, we'd have to put it exactly head to head to know exactly all the um, differences with the specs and whatnot, but. The A6700 seems to be giving us a lot of what the FX30 gives us, plus it has an EVF, right? I mean, yeah, what are the limitations does. on the A6700 compared to the FX30 for video shooters? Do you, do you know off the top of your head? Well, it can't do a raw output, I'm pretty sure. So that is going to be one thing that the FX30 can do, but I'm not really sure how many people are actually using that feature in the FX30 to begin with. So I'm not sure if that's necessarily a loss um of course the fx30 does have that cinema and air quotes style body it's sony's cinema mirrorless hybrid weird body i mean it's cool but it's, it's definitely strange um so you know full-size hdmi stuff like that um this thing is a micro hdmi so the fan i think is definitely probably the one of the bigger differences because uh from different people's videos like lee zavitz i was watching his video this morning mm-hmm. um one of the more obvious differences is that FX30 having that fan, which does seem to be a big player in the overheating issue that the A6700 seems to be facing right now. Because in 4K120, uh, Lee was saying that he got about 20 minutes of record time before it overheated. And then I believe in 4K60, it was 45 minutes or something along those lines. Uh, and then 4K24, it was fine. 4K30, it was fine. Um, so... So that's it, a that's an obvious advantage then to go with the FX30, which was designed for video and it has a fan built into it. So 
if that is a limitation for you, then certainly consider forking out the extra, you know, $400 for the FX30, right? Yeah, and he was referencing when he was recording continuously, so he just hit record and let it go until it overheated. And I don't know who's doing that in 4K 120, uh, so it would be almost more curious to know how long if he's, like, you know, starting and stopping, maybe, like, shooting BTS-looking stuff, you know, or yeah. just some B-roll-looking stuff to see how long it would take to overheat. Um, but, yeah, it does seem that that fan would have kind of a big... Uh, play in the overheating issue or the lack of a fan in the case of the 6700 but yeah. something else obviously is the 6700 stud have does have a mechanical shutter uh which is great it's great for photographers um i think it said 11 frames a second is what it can do uh in photography yep, up, up to 11 frames per second and it's of course it, it's got the newest fastest autofocus system too right yeah, so it's going to have all those AI features that we saw in the ZVE-1. I almost said E10. It's the E1, right? The newest? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's going to have the auto-framing thing that we saw in the ZVE-1. Although it, that should be better in this camera over the E1 because the E1 has just a true 4K sensor. Whereas this one does have a 6K sensor, so it should you know be able to have a, a higher resolution sharper yeah. zoom in effect thing going on you can you know focus on trains and cars and people and bugs and all that stuff too so it's it's honestly like 1400 bucks dude like that's it's pretty gnarly yeah i mean i'm watching sony's little video here and they're showing how you know the i the ai tracking is just so good now how like there's a shot of this girl who's walking on the street and then subjects walk in front of her and it still just stays locked on her eye as she's walking across the street. You can see people walking in front. Um, we've seen this with the A7R5 initially was the first uh, time that we really saw that. Right. And we're continuing to see that in newer bodies from Sony like the ZV-E1. My big question is this camera is only $100 more than the ZV-E1, right? Or no, that one's even more. No, that's almost two thousand dollars right Shoot, the ZV-E1, yeah the zve1 is 2198 so right. my question is why would a vlogger like a a youtube person which is what they're designing the zve1 for why would they choose the zve1 over this now because this also has the the flip out screen in the past the zv or sorry in the past the a series line a 6700 6600 6300 etc had the old-fashioned you know sony screen system where it would just flip kind of out oh. but and then the 6600 and the 6400 which we famously reviewed in catalina that was the first time we went to catalina and it was a total blast that was a great that, trip that was the first sony camera with a, a selfie screen that was before any of the cameras had a flip screen like this um a more traditional flip screen and that flipped up which was better than nothing but it does get in the way of the microphone um and anything that you would put on the hot shoe right so you know the ideal solution really is to do what everybody's been doing for years which is a standard flip around selfie screen so the a6700 now has that um I don't, and the beautiful thing about the A6700 is because it is the cropped uh, APS-C body, 
you can get away with these really tiny little lenses that Sony makes, that um, Sigma make. Uh, the kit lens is so small, a 16 to 50. It's not good. Don't, I would not recommend that one. <laughs> but Sigma has some really great APS-C Sony glass that I'm kind of jealous of, honestly. It's really good glass. This um, 18 to 50 f2.8. Yeah. It's so small. Look at this picture. It is a tiny little lens. That's so but cute. But that is basically, you know, it's a 27 to 75 millimeter equivalent, and it's a constant f2.8. I guess I don't have to be too jealous because it does come in a Leica L mount, so I could put it on my um, on my S5 and just use my S5 as a crop uh, sensor camera because it does APS-C mode. Yeah, it does have an APS-C mode, but um, they've also got these great, really great prime lenses from Sigma as well. A 16 1.4, which is a 24 millimeter equivalent. This is a very popular lens for YouTubers because you get a shallow depth of field. It's small, it's compact, and it's cheap. It's three ninety nine. So yeah. to me, if you're a, a budding creator, I would choose the A6700 over the ZV-E1 at this point because oh, easily. it's a way better camera all around. The obvious, well, there is a glaring difference, though, between those two um, ZV-E1s full frame. Yeah, but who cares is what I'm saying for, for a YouTuber. I mean, I'm not saying anything necessarily. It just, it is. So, I mean, that is a large difference between the two cameras. A lot of people sure. do like that full frame look, especially when it comes to photography. Some people argue that it doesn't make a difference. It just depends on what camp you're in, you know? Um, I do yeah. like having a full frame camera. I really but, do. But having... But you, also, you also gain an EVF with the A6700, the um, the... E1 doesn't have an EVF at all. Oh, no. Um, yeah. Nor does it have a mechanical shutter, does it? It's It doesn't have a shutter in it either. I don't think right? it does. I, I'm not a fan. I, I got to mess around with the ZV-E1, and it was cool to mess around with because of those AI features, because that was kind of new to me. Um, but as a whole, I'm not the biggest fan of the ZV-E1. It seems like it's just overpriced. And um, yeah, I, I want an EVF. So it is nice that this has the EVF, although it's that rangefinder-esque off off the side style which mm -hmm. is a choice I, I i don't know if it's good or bad i know that it's not the highest resolution uh, but it's also really cheap so how much can you really complain i don't know yeah i um i mean what are your thoughts on it would i mean you know we're not you're not gonna buy one are you <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, I you know i keep saying that i want to buy a sony camera but i just can't freaking decide which one to get <laughs> Um, cause it's like, I feel like they're all kind of great in a way and they all have like a weird issue as well for me, you know, that I can't quite like justify giving them my, my money. Yeah. Um, you know, for, for this one, it's like, well, it's not full frame. And I, I do like the concept of having a full frame camera. So it's like, oh, that's kind of a downer, but then it's like the FX3 doesn't have an EVF. It's like, oh, I really want an EVF. So then it's like, well, maybe the a7 IV. And it's like, well, the a7 IV has some overheating problems and some other issues and stuff like that. It's like, okay, well, then it's at that point you're at the a7 R5. And it's like, well, that's just really expensive, even though that probably and way is. way too overkill yeah, yeah. for you. Yeah, it's like, I don't need that camera. So it's, it's like this weird stepping stone issue with all their cameras for me. Why don't you just not get one? And just be okay with that, <laughs> because you've yeah. got the uh, you got the Lumix and the Canon. Yeah, I I could do that. I I I just still like the concept of having like all of them. If I'm in a review camera, it just seems just borrow fair. Uh, 
just borrow one of Zach's. He's got two. Yeah, and he's been on that FX30 game, and he's really enjoying it. Um, and it, it is a cool camera. I think for somebody, like, honestly, I think the FX30 for you makes some sense. Or, like, in an ideal world, an FX3 probably would be the one to get for you, right? Like, Yeah, like, if I was going to use it for YouTube content. Uh, but then again, again, <laughs> no EVF. It's not really a photographer's camera, and I would want something that can do both. Um, yeah. So that's where it takes me really back probably to the a7 IV, but there's just yeah. some goofy things. I've heard some people really like it. it. I've overheat. heard some people not so it's much a, like it. The a7 IV doesn't overheat that bad. It's it, I don't think it needs to be that much of a consideration. I just don't okay. like having to think about it when you're filming and stuff. It like ruins yeah. my brain. Like right now I'm actually using the C70 surprise after we just did a bunch of Lumix S5 stuff. I just wanted to give it some love it's been sitting in my bag and shedding tears every day i use my lumix and um it is great to use a proper cinema camera with built-in nds and with like an actual ac power plug so i just plug it into the wall yeah and it's got a fan in it and i do not have to even think twice about like i could i could probably leave this on for a week and not turn it off and it will be fine because like yeah that's what it's made for it's made to be a production tool right um and the lumix is like that too with the built-in fan even on the s5 too which is nuts so right um it is a nice kind of like peace of mind to know that your cameras uh are not going to overheat so yeah exactly i still sometimes run into overheating on the r6 mark ii actually mm. um if i'm shooting a lot of 4k 60 um, which I do shoot sometimes a lot of 4K60 on these random mm -hmm. jobs that I have. Um, so, you know, overheating, it's a problem, but it does seem to be a problem with the 6700. How bad of a problem? I don't know. I haven't used it myself, but it it is an issue. Well, A6700, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So head over to the YouTube channel if you're listening and uh, post a comment on the video, and uh, we'd love to have a dialogue about this camera are you interested in it are you going to switch is it going to be a nice little b cam for you um would love to hear your thoughts i will say my kind of overall thoughts are it's about dang time and what i mean by that is sony connor mentioned at the beginning of this that you know the a6600 is what this is replacing and that was a couple years old at this point well the thing that's most important about the A6700 is this is the first time this line of cameras has ever, and I mean ever, had a sensor replacement. Um, the A6300 came out, let's see, came out in 2016. Yeah, it's an old sensor, the previous the generation. And the A6300 sensor has literally been in all of the A6000 line since 2016. The A6300, the A6400, the A6500, and the 6600, all of them have had the same sensor year over year over year over year. And that, you know, when I was reviewing cameras on Kinotika, anytime one of these cameras came up and came up in conversation, it was always like, yeah, it's a great camera, but they really need to change the sensor out. Mm -hmm. um, the ZV-E10, which is a very uh, popular vlog camera, um, that also shares the same sensor. So I am really just excited that Sony has finally made a new sensor. It's a, a BSI backside illuminated sensor, which is really good for... Um, for uh like bird photography and stuff like that it's uh, i don't really understand what bsi really truly means but it, it just it's a fast readout sensor it also has great dynamic range so 
I'm excited that Sony finally, after, you know, how many years has it been? 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, seven years. I have to count on my fingers because I'm a YouTuber. Um, <laughs> it's been seven years since the first camera and we finally have a new sensor. So um, it'll probably be another seven years before they replace it. But here we are. Um, it's new now and it is at a very good price, $1,400. I don't think any other company has something this competitive in this. Well, that's not true. This is in the Fuji territory, isn't it, Connor? So it the is. S, the X, uh, was it the XS20? Is that the newest one that they just came out with? Would that be a comparable one to put next to this, you think? It could be. Um, the thing that you have to remember between Fujifilm and Sony, obviously, is that yeah, Sony this is, is just wildly reliable, and Fujifilm is not Exactly. So the XS20 is uh, $1,300. So the Fuji is cheaper. It's $1,299. And I will say, if you're a photographer primarily, get a Fuji for sure. Fuji Mm -hmm. has way superior image quality, in my opinion, to Sony um, when it comes to that kind of mojo. And, you know, Fuji colors are just synonymous with film. And if you're into that world, and obviously the way that Fuji designs their cameras is much more attractive and um, thoughtful. So if all those things are appealing to you and you're a photographer, then get a Fuji camera. There's many options. Um, But, um, you know, if you are more of a hybrid shooter or you're primarily a Sony shooter and you just need a backup camera. And by the way, E-mount is both APS-C and full frame. So that one lens system, you can use full frame lenses on the a6700. It's just going to crop in on it, obviously. Um, it's a great B cam to people, I think, who are shooting on uh, Sony full frame cameras. And then if you're a beginner and you're like a, you know, you want to kind of get up your first pro kind of camera, I, I would probably say this is a good option, especially for content creators out there. Um, you know, this is kind of the perfect kind of little thing to get you up and running, I think. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Fujifilm fan, but like if we're going to, talk about XS20 versus the A6700. It's like, man, the A6700 is probably just going to be a more reliable, more trustworthy, better camera for your everyday anything. And if you're going to get a camera for photography from Fujifilm, it's like, I don't really know if the XS... I haven't messed with the XS20. I just don't know if that's really the one I would pick for photography. There's a lot of really cool photography Fujifilm cameras out there. Um you know, so I'm not, I'm not sure I would go with the XS20, but you know, uh, yeah, I think a 6700, it's a good showing from Sony, especially because of the ZVE 10 or ZVE one rather. I, I, I didn't find that camera to be particularly amazing. So, uh, while we're on the topic of gear, let's go ahead and talk about our old, um, sponsor or, uh, you know, company that actually used to own this channel. Um, Polar look, at Pro. My, look at my shirt. This was unplanned. Oh, look at that. I got the old Polar Pro shirt on, actually. So full disclaimer, we're good friends with the CEO and a lot of people who work at Polar Pro because, shocker, if you didn't know this already, Golden Hour was started because of Polar Pro. They hired me to be the host. It was Mm -hmm. their show. And then um, they also hired Connor to uh, help out with the show. And every, was it every Tuesday, Connor, or Wednesday? I don't remember. I think it was whenever uh, we could get in, but Tuesday was the most common day. Yeah. So every Tuesday we would drive to Costa Mesa from Laguna 
uh, which is where we used to live. Oh man, I'm getting all Rip. the feelings Rip. thinking about it. Yeah. Um, we would carpool every other week. You know, you would drive one week and then I'd drive the next in my cop car. That's right. Um, That's right. I bought a, <laughs> I only had $1,500 to buy a vehicle when we moved there. Uh, cause I used the primo- primarily the majority of the money we saved up for cars on the Prius that we bought. And I bought, I bought the Ford Crown Vic. Um, yeah, you did. Which, uh, we had to go to, um, we had to go to Long Beach, which it, like, and it was a little bit of a shady area, but it was an all black Crown Vic, um, which was a blast. Honestly, I loved it. I it loved was, it. It was pretty hilarious. And we only ran out of gas one time. So, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. was great. That was a great moment. I mean, Lucky for us, we didn't have to push the darn thing because I was getting worried. Yeah, so um, we, <laughs> we were, were driving. We were driving back from a shoot, uh, or maybe it was even Polar Pro, <laughs> and we were heading home, and we were take, getting off our exit. And the way this exit worked was that it kind of went up at a slight incline up to the stop uh, light. And then it would slowly decline from there. It was like a little bit of a hill because, you know, the bridge went over the interstate there. Right. And so obviously you go up and then you go down. Yeah. Well, as we were rolling, and by the way, I think when we left that day or maybe even that morning, you looked at my gas gauge and you're like, hey, should we fill up? I was like, oh, no, I drive on E all the time. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> I was close to E in the morning. And then by the time we left, I like, honestly, if I remember correctly too, I was like, I probably should have like filled up before we left. I mean, obviously I should have, but I think I was even planning to, I just kind of forgot. We just kind of left and went home. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I, I looked down, we were just like in the middle of conversation and then I looked down and the gas gauge was like below E, like the gas gauge was just like, it was gone. And as we were <laughs> cresting the hill, the car stopped completely just completely stopped cold well but not in motion the engine shut off yeah yeah the the engine shut off yeah but i had enough because i was coming off of the interstate i just i had just enough momentum to kind of roll up that hill and i think we even had like a red or a green light as well right right as we crested the hill the light turned green because if we had to stop then (laughs) we would have been pushing the car and so, thankfully, that green light saved the day. God's timing was perfect on this. We crested the hill. I turned the car. And because it was a slight decline from there, I just rolled down. And sure enough, right there, not the cheapest. Like, my head was like, I probably shouldn't pull in here. It's it's like three cents cheaper down the street. But I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to do it. <laughs> I pulled right into the gas station that just happened to be right there. And I remember... You know, Connor was kind of like freaking out and I pulled right in. I parked the car right next to the gas. <laughs> I was like, see, no problem. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it I was freaking out, not freaking out, but I was like, I'm going to be the one pushing this car we were, we if were we laughing. ran out of gas. <laughs> no, I think we were both laughing the whole time because it was pretty funny. No, that was a, that was a great moment. It was a great moment. <laughs> but anyways, Polar Pro. But anyways, Polar Pro announced a new filter with the old Peter McCannon, and it's called the Helix Maglock. And dude, this looks so cool. I love the design of this. 
and they designed it to look like a film reel, which was a, a really smart move because the people who the only people that use V and Ds are video people. Yeah. Except for the photographer who works at Polar Pro, who every time you take a picture <laughs> with us, he would have a V&D on the lens. Uh, um, why? <laughs> why like, would why, you do that? <laughs> why are you using Just to promote the the filter, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a really cool design. And they're basically bringing the magnetic system down to uh, the Polar Pro line here. So you've got the magnetic... Um, kind of screw on system that you've seen from other people. So you, I guess you can um, pop it on and off all your lenses much faster, which I used to use about seven years ago. So it's great that they finally added this. <laughs> um, it's got a turn lock system though. It's not just a, just straight magnet. It's, it's magnetic, but then you rotate it and it locks it into your lens. Um, so you're going to have to buy adapters for all your lenses, but this will greatly speed up the system of changing lens, uh, changing your filter out, which is always one of the most annoying parts of of screwing a filter onto your lens, in my opinion. So, well, actually, the problem with screw-on filters is when you accidentally tighten it just a little too much, and then, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe it gets cold, so it compresses, and then you can't get the dang thing off. So, magnetic filters. That I love this. This is great. Yeah, this is really nice. Um, so anyways, uh, I'm excited about this. Hopefully we can get, get a, um, a demo unit to have a play with it. Um, hopefully the color accuracy is better because I love the design of this. It's got a rubber, um, trim, which will probably feel great. It's got the, you know, the mag lock system, mm -hmm. um, and they have a really great, uh, case design with this film reel looking thing. It's called the Defender. So lots of different options. There's mist, there's blue morphic, there's more mist. So if you like that diffusion, um, gold morphic, so it gives you gold anamorphic, uh, effects, really nice design, premium, premium design. Um, yeah, it really looks like they did a good job. Obviously the big question is, is how does it look when you put it onto your lens? Is it going to shift the colors at all? But, um, Polar Pro does make really good products, so I, I imagine they did a good job with this. So if you follow me on any social media, I hope you follow me on Twitter because Twitter has been and continues to be my primary and favorite social media outside of YouTube. Mm -hmm. I do have Instagram. I've I've had Instagram since the beginning of Instagram's existence. Um, for some reason, over the last probably like five or six years, I've just personally fell out of love with Instagram. I think it has a lot to do with just Zuckerberg's attempt to re replicate everything, whether it's Snapchat or TikTok, um, whether it's just bombarding you with ads and uh, messing up the algorithm and not seeing photos of your friends that you actually want to see and showing you photos of other things. And like, I don't know, I just... The whole thing is just feels bloated to me and I'm not a I'm not I'm just not a fan of it. Also, I don't like the kind of like I don't know, I feel like the culture on Instagram even, especially with like mainline posts, mm -hmm. is so fake. It's just like a picture of a mountain that somebody took and it's a beautiful photo. Photography, you know, we we follow a lot of because of the show, we interviewed a lot of really talented travel photographers. And so I follow a lot of those people like uh, Chris Poplowski and um, 
many others. That's the first one that comes to mind. But <laughs> yeah, he has great stuff. He's not like this, by the way. He's not, I'm I'm talking negatively. I'm throwing shade, but like he's not like this personally. But th- there's just a lot of travel influencers, and it's just like they have these really kind of meaningless posts but then they get all this interaction because it like it taps into people's emotions it taps into their desires to travel and so they have these really kind of like pretentious you know travel posts and then even within our own community too i feel like people try so hard to like write a very meaningful bio of the photo and i I just hate it I, i don't like that culture it doesn't feel authentic to me I always like stories, but way more because it's just people's life. Um, so Instagram stories is really my main consumption on Instagram is I, I basically open up Instagram. I look at all my friends stories and then I, and then I close Instagram. That's all I do. <laughs> so I maybe check some DMS if anybody sent me a message. Twitter is where I post because there's such a low barrier of entry with text based social media. All I have to do is just have an interesting thought or idea or concept and I could just put it out there and have conversations with people. And that's the other thing too, is like the interactions with other creators, the interactions with my friends that I follow on Twitter who are all in this YouTube space. It's a place for us to hang out and talk. It is really, you know, and then when we do hang out at NAB, we pick up on those conversations that we've been having on Twitter and stuff. So as a YouTuber, I think having a text-based social media is a great addition to YouTube because YouTube is not the place for that. And I don't even think Instagram is really the place for that type of public interaction with each other. And so Zuckerberg has done it. He has copied Twitter <laughs> and took he, he took really the basic um, aspects of it, which is simply just a text-based post and made threads. And in the last week, it's literally only been a week since they announced it. In the last week, they've now garnered over 100 million users. Mm -hmm. So this is maybe dating this podcast because it may be a billion users before you know it. Um, But for reference, there are a little over 300 million active daily Twitter users. And Zuck has basically gotten a third of the daily active Twitter users in a week. Um, that says a lot for the success of Instagram, obviously. I mean, the way that the signup process for it was like best in class. I've never had a cleaner, um, way of signing up for a new platform. It was, but it, it really is because threads is truly like a sister app to Instagram in a lot of ways. Yeah. I was going to say, you're not technic. I mean, you're not really signing up for a new app. It's just Instagram. They just put it in another little bubble on your phone. Yes. In fact, I think I heard, um, I was listening to a Twitter spaces of all things, um, of like different developers talking about threads. And somebody said that they're using a lot of the Instagram base code with threads. They just kind of changed it and made it a new app. So it truly is a sister app to Instagram. So, you know, you can't really learn anything from this if you're starting a new company because you have to already have a billion users for this to work the way it did. <laughs> so like, right. the, and there's only one company and there's only one person that can pull this off and it's Meta and it's Zuckerberg. Um, and also to the whole philosophy of what he did is so Zuck. You take something that someone else did, change it a little bit, simplify it, clean it up in terms of the UI and layout and make it your own. And that's literally like everything that Zuckerberg does, his whole career has been copying what other people do, but he makes it different and makes it, you know, and some people would argue better. Um, So 
I am excited because Connor is on threads. I've been telling him for years to get on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about threads and I'll, I'll save that for the end of this conversation. But I, I do want to just like, you know, give a nod to, to Instagram, the, the, the threads team. I think they've designed a really clean interface. I think they've done a really good job. And as a Twitter fan myself, I'm going to threads, um, every day, you know, I, I pop in there for, you know, I, I use it about once a day. So I'll, I'll just kind of see what's going on. And then I go back over to Twitter. So Twitter is still more lively. The, uh, I'll talk about why I still prefer Twitter, but that's also because I've been using Twitter since 20, you know, 15. So, or not even no, 2009, I think is when I signed up for it. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I joined February, 2009 on Twitter. So I've been using Twitter for a very long time. Um, but not everybody uses Twitter. And that's, I think that's the thing is like, I have seen so many people on threads say, oh, wow, this is cool. I think I'm going to use this. I never figured out Twitter, but I like this. And it's like for people like myself and other nerds who are total Twitter people, it's like it's a little cringy to see that because it's like this has been around for a while. This concept is very tried and true. (laughs) But there's something like I saw a great interview with Zuck on uh, the Lex Friedman podcast. And he raised a really interesting question. He's like, it's always been he's like, there's a need for text-based social media. Twitter has filled that for several for, for for so long. And he's like, but it's always been so curious to me why they don't have a billion users. He's like, it's a it's such a simple concept. It should work. And for some reason, Twitter has never figured out how to scale it. And so that's why they did this, because he will dominate. Um, mm-hmm. He just knows what he's doing. He's a genius, honestly, in this world. Um, he's also does some shady stuff and the app does track a lot of things, but that's part of Facebook's model to make a ton of money. (laughs) So um, there's no ads on it at the moment. Um, That will change uh, at some point. Um, But that doesn't mean they're not taking your data and using that to make Instagram ads and Facebook ads better. Um, So anyways, that's kind of my little intro into it. Connor, you're on threads. I don't know how often you're using it. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on threads now that it's been a week. Is it still exciting to you or are you going to continue to use it? So I got it a day after it came out and I was, you know, navigating through it, message, you know, did a few posts, tried some photo stuff, saw a lot of people are posting photos there now already. So, um, you know, it, it's probably, I think people are starting to treated a little bit more like Instagram than Twitter in a way already, uh, which is interesting, although it does seem to still be more text-based. I like the idea of it, just like I like the idea of Twitter. But when I got on it and I tried it and I was starting to use it immediately, I got those Twitter vibes and I I just don't like Twitter. And I just don't like that form of communication. I'm an introvert, though, by, tr- uh, you know, by trade. <laughs> I'm an introvert. I just don't like the the feeling of constant communication. I also feel like 90% of what's said on Twitter-esque platforms are just, it's just garbage. It's useless, you know, waste of my time information. It's like someone's like, I'm eating a bowl of cereal this morning. What are you doing? It's like, they're just trying to gain interaction, right? Uh, it's like, oh, coffee time, you know little coffee emoji. It's like, great. I don't really care uh, at all. Um, so for me, it, that it, it did kind of start to feel like that already on, on threads. 
And so I haven't opened the app in probably four or five days. Um, mm. Personally, it's just, and again, it's just, it's a lot of what I've already seen on Instagram and people are just now posting it to threads, except for the text-based stuff, which is a little different. I'll keep it, you know, I'll keep it around. I'll probably pop in there every once in a while. It's definitely not going to be an everyday thing for me. Maybe a once a week thing. I'll pop in the threads and see what's going on. If I have like some filmmaking questions, maybe I'll post it in there. I think that that's useful. Um, but really, it's it's a matter of time. I mean, Zuckerberg is releasing it as he's releasing it. One, to test the grounds and obviously see how it does. But two... Uh, to make everyone like it. He wants to make it as appealing as possible at the start so that he can have as many people jump from Twitter, which has been struggling lately, as possible. And then once everybody converts and they like it, that's when we're going to start seeing advertisements. Yeah. That's when we're going to start seeing the sweeping changes. That's when we're going to start seeing... It's like all those things that Twitter has issues with, we're going to start seeing those be pumped in the threads, I, I would imagine. I would be very shocked if that's not the case. Also, I feel like a lot of people in our niche are liking it because the early adopters are people in our niche. So mm -hmm. it's yeah. just a bunch of us, you know, talking and having fun and, well, you know, whatever. I will say, I will say the only people that initially were super active on Twitter or uh, sorry, on threads yeah. were two different types of people. Number one, it's all the people I already see every day on Twitter. So right. it's, it's a natural platform for all of us who use Twitter, obviously, because we know how to use it. And I'm no I noticed the people who are mostly Instagram people are like, oh wow, this is new and interesting. I like this. Um, and they're commenting on all the things that I know all of us have been saying on Twitter for a while. Like I've even seen some of my Twitter fo followers or people I follow on Twitter posting the same things on Threads and getting um, some interesting interactions because there's just certain types of content that plays well on that. Mm -hmm. um, but I've also seen over the last week a lot of them coming back over to Twitter. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite um, uh, people I follow, his name is Ian, and he he designs all the 3D renders for a 9 to 5 Mac. And he said, don't don't tell my followers on threads, but I'm kind of over it. Anyone else feel the same? The algorithm is just unusable, and I find I'm having more meaningful conversations on Twitter. Yeah. And I agree with that. Somebody responded to that tweet and said, it feels like I'm watching TV at my parents' house. <laughs> which i love that yeah um the the algorithm is not um as advanced as twitter and uh, connor i know you haven't really used uh twitter 2.0 I, I think at all um as soon as once elon took over um a lot of the bullcrap that you're talking about of that on the for you page on twitter is totally gone it's it's using an algorithm that is based around top performing tweets similar to any of these modern algorithmic based social media platforms so um, you now have two tabs you can choose following or for you so if you just want to see who you follow in chronological order the way twitter was designed which is you follow somebody you want to see their tweets mm -hmm. and you want to see it in the order they post it you can go over to that tab and it's there but if you use the for you tab it's doing algorithmic based um serving and it's serving you the best performing stuff which means it's usually the best stuff you know in terms of interesting threads or interesting topics or you know all the people in our little filmmaking niche when they when they talk about something interesting or you know something that I would probably want to interact with it seems to do a pretty good job of serving that to to me yeah. um so um I think you're right I think a lot of the people who are on Instagram who got threads they're Instagram people, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. And so they prefer that platform. 
And maybe that's the disconnect with, with the Twitter format is like, it does take a certain type of person to enjoy it. Maybe it's too, it's just a niche based social media. And maybe that's just the problem. Like otherwise maybe Twitter would have had a billion users. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the case. I, I, I feel like it is a platform for uh, people who love conversation. I don't know. I mean, there's definitely a handful of introverts on it because you don't have to actually physically speak to people. But I guess you're putting yourself out there publicly. So you have to kind of be willing to say something that you know other people will read, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I um, I think it's... I just love that format as an additional thing to YouTube because the the barrier of posting is so low you just type things and post it and there's no like you don't get uh there's no disadvantage to posting a bad tweet like it's not like your twitter account loses steam or anything so right um like i had a post a couple days ago that got a million views it was it literally was just um sharing a rumor about apple using a vr camera um for all their apple tv shows recently um, they're using a 180 VR, um, you know, three 3D camera on every Apple TV show, so that way they can have assets for the Vision Pro. Um, but it's well shot and it's actually shot using true 3D, so it you know you can watch the show in a proper aspect ratio. So that'll be, or not proper aspect ratio, but you'll be able to watch all the Apple TV Plus shows in 3D in your headset. So that's I guess cool. it's kind of an aspect ratio. The aspect is your whole field of view. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> um, anyways, I think threads will probably be fine. I don't think it's going to really take down Twitter based off of the last. If you asked me last week, as soon as it came out, I would have said, oh, man, this is this is the end for Twitter. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't know now if that's true because it seems like a different audience. I feel like the people who have used Twitter and still use Twitter are going to stay on Twitter because it's just, it seems like the conversation is still there. It still seems just as active as it was. Um, there's a little bit of interest on threads and a lot of people switched over and also to the the second type of people that are using threads, I, I listed the first type. The second type that are using threads are the people who left Twitter because they don't like Elon Musk. Mm. So that's something I have noticed is like if you were one of those people that left Twitter because you hate the fact that he is a free speech advocate, um, then you can go over to threads where there will be plenty of moderation and um non-free speech things going on. So <laughs> uh, that is a great place for people who don't like Elon Musk. So I think that is part of it as well. And um, we'll have to see if it has legs. I don't think they're going to kill it necessarily like IGTV, but maybe mm-hmm. it'll turn into a tab on Instagram <laughs> as well. <laughs> like the way they added reels, maybe it'll be another thing that you can just switch over to. Although it is interesting that they made a separate app for it. So. I think they wanted it to feel separate from Instagram. So I think it was very intentional. We'll see what happens. I mean, it's just another thing to you have to look at. And honestly, I barely want to look at any of them as it is. So, um, yeah. So follow us on threads. What up? <laughs> You'll hear from me. Maybe never. <laughs> 
So we're recording this on Wednesday. I am hopefully finishing up my edit today and we'll be posting my big video that I've been working on for over a year now. So hopefully while you're watching this podcast, you will see or have seen or have the opportunity to see my video, 100 Movies in 24 Hours, which Connor was a huge part of. Not only did he help me film the entire thing, but he also was the host of the first annual Connie Awards. I think the most important thing about all this is I'm really proud of how it came out. It's been a lot of back and forth. It's been, gosh, I think I've done maybe 30 versions of the intro. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've made about, I, I know for a fact, I've made 19 thumbnail variations um, because the the number on the last export was V19. Um, so, and within each variation, there's minor tweaks to that with fonts and color choices. Um, all of that work is partially, not, well, not partially, primarily my struggles with ADHD and perfectionism. And I want to just say that out loud. Like, I think a lot of it is just getting in my head too much. And um, because I wanted this to be perfect, I would procrastinate the project because, oh, I don't have I don't have 20 hours to sit down right now because I knew that's what it would take. I knew if I'm going to do this, I'm going to I'm just going to have to pour everything I have into it and it's going to take me a week to get it done. And so I would kind of like work on it a little bit and then I would obviously do things that paid me money. And so I would move on to, at the time, Soundstripe or other paid uh, freelance work. So, and then also too, just feeling so um, unsure and it's so new territory for me. I've been doing gear reviews for so long. I've never done a big kind of entertainment challenge-based video of this scale before. Um, it was very overwhelming. I mean, we had nine cameras for this shoot. It was a two-day shoot, well, technically three days if you count the the um, award ceremony, and a lot of footage to go through, five different audio recorders that had to be synced to all those cameras. It was just a lot of work. It was very hard. I, I, like, I'm comparing myself as I was editing. I was kind of comparing myself to Eric or Mr. Beast or whatever. And I realized I'm like, man, the, I really should not be comparing myself to any of them because first off, they have, they're so far ahead in terms of their understanding of this because they've been doing it for so long. They have just an innate sense of what works and what doesn't work. They also have a clear direction and a cl clear audience. I don't have any of that. They also have a team of people to help them. Um, I heard an interview with Jimmy, Mr. Beast. He said that it takes about six months from conception of the idea to execution to final edit for him. And they're, they, he has multiple teams working on videos. So he's always six months ahead of his upload date. And he just has different teams working on different things. Whereas this was completely done, you know, other than the days that we shot it, which I had so much help, including Connor and my, our friend Malachi and uh, Chris Haggerty and Jim Cook and a lot of my close friends who helped out with this project. Not only did I have that on the day, but when it came to the edit, I was completely alone on the edit. I I asked for help and I did get help and suggestions and comments, but man, it was a lot of work. But here we are. It's done. I'm really proud of how it came out. And um, that is the most important thing, I think, is like, I'm happy with it. 
And I feel like I've done everything I possibly can at this point. I know it can be better. I know I could change things about the story that could make this maybe make a little bit more sense. But I didn't have that understanding. I didn't really know what I was doing when we shot it. And now that I've edited it, I wish we shot certain things a certain way to help with the storytelling. Um, but we just didn't. And I can't kind of fix things that were just not there on the day. Um, so I've done everything I possibly can. I'm really proud of how it came out. And I'm curious to see how the response will be of this new venture. But uh, this is the first um, video on my new channel which we'll, we'll link in the description of this podcast. So if you want to go over there and subscribe to that, um, you can check it out. Um, but yeah, this is the very first video on a brand new channel. Um, this is part of that journey of giving the Kinotika channel to Connor. And, you know, he's carrying that forward on that channel. And this is a brand new uh, thing. Because if I were to have posted this on the Kinotika channel, I don't know if it would have worked properly because this is such a different audience. Um, I mean, it's similar. There's a lot of similarities, but it's such a different format from a review video. And so I really wanted a fresh start and kind of get an audience of people that are interested in this type of content rather than forcing it on people who already like a review-based format. So that's why I've started a new channel um, and I've gone this direction. So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm that's excited. A, that's a lot. I mean, so I've been seeing bits and pieces of this video now for a year and it really has come a long way since even the first cut that I saw. Now, I, I remember you kept the cut, at least uh, for me, pretty close to the chest um, at first. And I, I wonder uh, 100% why. Maybe it was just because you were figuring it out and you weren't sure what you were doing yet. Um, but I have seen a bunch of cuts up to now and I will say, I think you did a really good job. I think it came out great. Very fun, very engaging. Thank you. Um, I think the concept is wonderful and I look forward to seeing, uh, what else your channel is gonna do in the future. Because like you said, this is just the beginning of your new phase of content. So, um, for those who don't know, which everyone should know who listens, but Dave, you know, he did camera reviews for five years. Yeah, I believe five, almost six years now. Yeah, but yeah, yeah um, we started with Kinotika. I mean, we started with my my personal channel actually, just doing it, and then I got that job, and then you and I did that together. And then yeah, Indy, and then Indie Mogul was um, really just a dream come true and an awesome opportunity to work for a company of that scale. Mm -hmm. um, and so that was really amazing. And it was actually during my time at Indie Mogul that I realized I don't have that passion for the review space like I used to. And I was wanting to do what I've just done on Indie Mogul. And I would argue that it probably would work well on Indie Mogul, this format. I think it would probably do really good because mm -hmm. it had a huge audience. Um, but that was not the direction that they wanted to take the channel. And so, and also too, I didn't want to live in LA. So I quit and, um, other than this podcast, um, I haven't had any consistent YouTube content going on. I've kind of done occasional reviews here and there. We did a wonderful, um, you know, Japan collab <laughs> with Panasonic mm -hmm. that I had a ton of fun making that. And I posted that on my second channel, but, um, 
But yeah, this is really what I've been working on for the last, I got a little taste of it, I guess, with the drone video. We did the the DJI Mini 3 versus Inspire video. That was my first experiment with this format of doing a little bit more scale and having a, some sort of challenge and making it a little bit more entertaining. Right. And um, that video did really well. It got about 100,000 views in a week, which uh, was... I, th- I think uh, a success for that channel and for what that video was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, d- I did another trial with a wedding video that didn't perform well. I think that was a mismatch on the audience there. I also think the video probably could have been a little better too. So um, anyways, this is what I've been working on for the last two years is just thinking about this. I I feel like there's a real need for something different in the filmmaking niche and I've seen a couple people try concepts like this, um, and some of them do well, some of them don't. But nobody's truly gone all out and kind of just put everything into it. And I will say this was real expensive to make. I mean, I I was grateful for Soundstripe who who did sponsor this video, but they only that 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 money was only a quarter of what I spent. So mm-hmm. the other three quarters of this video, in terms of what I spent to make it not including the hundred hours or more of editing, uh, you know, was about $7,000 in my own money. So, um, these are expensive. So (laughs) I think, uh, and you know, obviously if you're trying to replicate what Jimmy's doing, which I'm not, but I am trying to kind of do something different. It's just Mm -hmm. expensive because of the production. So, um, hopefully, a brand will see this video. And if you're, if a brand is watching this, hi, I would love to work with you. <laughs> These cost me about $15,000 or more. Um, so if anybody would be interested in sponsoring in the future, that'd be great. But um, anyways, uh, yeah, I'm kind of rambling here, but do you have any other thoughts about it? Um, not, not in particular. I, I think it's, you know, like we, we already discussed and you kind of got it off your chest is, you know, it's, it's been a long time coming, uh, and a long time coming. We've, probably we've obviously, annoyed, I've, you, I've annoyed my friends with it, honestly. Yeah. We've given you a lot of crap for it, for sure. Um, some of it deserved, some of it, maybe not, but we were, you know, goofing on you because it's like, oh, you know, it's the video that'll never get done. Uh, and it was failing like that for a long time, but this past couple of weeks, you really were like, you know what? Enough is enough. And I'm just going to get it done. And it was great. And yeah, it, I think it, I think it came out great. I, th- I hope it's received well for you. Um, I think it should be received well. It's just up to the, you know, the YouTube algorithm gods, if it gets sucked in or not. And um, yeah, well, we'll, we'll see what happens. That's why I mentioned what I said at the beginning, which is I'm proud of, of it from a, from our artistic standpoint, you know, as an artist creating something, I am proud of of what I m- made. You know, yeah. so um, at the very least, I think our little community of of YouTube filmmaker people, I think they will enjoy it. So whether that's a couple thousand people or you know, if the DJI Mini Three versus Inspire Two video got around a hundred thousand views, you know, I, I would hope we could at least hit that number. So my, my like kind of dream goal is to, to get a hundred thousand views. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. I mean, obviously the goal is to get as many views as possible. <laughs> like that is the, I'm not going to hide from that. Yeah. Um, everything I'm doing is modern YouTube, uh, strategy. So this has been very thought out. 
every second of the video is designed around a YouTube format and then the thumbnail and the title and just everything. Like I've, I've thought a lot about the marketing of this um, and we'll see if it works. Yeah. So I, as of right now, we don't know. (laughs) It hasn't gone live yet as of recording this podcast, but it will be live by the time you're watching this. Right, Dave? It will be live. (laughs) Yeah, it will be. (laughs) It will be. Yeah. I I just got off the call with a a client uh, that I'm working with today on a thumbnail and he said, um, yeah, I'd love for you to do this thumbnail today if you don't mind. But the only requirement, Dave, I was like, yes, is you have to finish 100 movies and post it tomorrow as well. I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think so. people want to see it on the internet. You know, you've, you've shown it to all of your friends many times over, all the different people in your niche and beyond. Um, and everyone just wants to see it succeed. So it's got to go live. <laughs> yeah. Well... Thank you guys for listening to the show for the last two years when I haven't even been active too. This has been the most consistent um, thing that I've done. And I have a lot to thank to Connor too. Thank you, Connor, for coming on board last year and being a part of this show. I really enjoy this format where we're able to talk with each other. It's just so much better to do things together and not alone. <laughs> Absolutely. So Absolutely. Cool. Well, is there anything else that we need to talk about or is that it for today's show? You know, I feel like that was a, this is a solid show. I think, you know, we talked about a new camera, we talked about some new filters and we talked about a whole new journey for Dave. So I think, you know, that's a lot of new. I think we can probably end it here. Cool. Well, thank you guys for listening again to another episode of the Golden Hour Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already. We're trying to grow our YouTube following. Also, make sure to leave a comment or rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Once again, I'm your host, David Altizer. And I'm Connor McCaskill. Be sure to go to Dave's new channel and subscribe uh, and like his video as well. Let's boost this and uh, get him to 100,000 views and maybe even beyond. That would be so amazing. Thank you so much. God bless. See you next time. Bye. Bye.